0: Welcome back to another episode of e-commerce on tap. My name is Nathan Resnick, and this is brought to you by Sourceify. Today we have Rich from Pair Eyewear on. Rich, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Of course, anytime.
0: Before we start, I want to learn more about you. How did you become the you know, head of supply chain at Pair Eyewear?
1: Sure. So I got my start in supply chain actually in a pretty unique way. When I first graduated college, I was actually very much into international development. And so I lived and worked in Honduras, supporting small businesses. I worked in the agricultural sector. From there, I moved on to the Peace Corps, where I worked in Mozambique. And it was through that experience where I was assisting within one of the largest agricultural cooperatives in the country that I realized that everything that I was doing was supply chain management, just on a more manual scale. We were moving hundreds of tons of grain from from individual farms throughout the province, centralizing them at our hub, and then warehousing them and shipping them to distributors all over the country who would export it. And so when I got back from the Peace Corps and got back into U.S. life, that's where I really leaned into supply chain management in general. So I started out working actually on the customer service side at McMaster Car, And from there, I moved on to an Argentinian tile manufacturer where I got a bit more exposure with the supply chain. So I was doing the entire gamut of customer service to inbound logistics, to planning, to order management, and of course, 3PL warehouse management, just at a much smaller scale. From there, I got offered to join the team at Swell which makes stainless steel water bottles. There, The operation was a lot more sophisticated. It was more e-commerce heavy, which was new for me. And that's really where I dove into the e-commerce world for the first time in a big way, overseeing a lot of the outbound distribution and fulfillment. And eventually I took over inbound and inventory control and returns under my umbrella as well. And then after a few years, that's where I found myself at Pair Eyewear.
0: That's awesome. So I've got to ask because you touched on so many parts of the supply chain from inbound logistics to outbound working with distributors. What is your favorite part of the
1: supply chain? What do you love spending time on? It's tough. It's like trying to pick your favorite kid, but I would say that I have more of an affinity towards inbound logistics and receiving. There's something exciting about product that's coming in from all over the world. I like that international flavor just because of my background. And so when you're in inbound logistics, it keeps you connected to that. You're working more with freight forwarders, you're working with import export rules, and it's not something that you don't get to dip into as much with outbound unless you have a really explosive international customer base. So it allows you to stay connected to all things globally oriented.
0: That's awesome. And I'm curious, as you mentioned, being globally oriented a topic that always comes top of mind for every supply chain leader is diversification and whether that be the trade wars that happened a few years ago and rise in tariff costs or Mm -hmm. the current political climate between america and china how do you look at diversification at pair eyewear and what are your thoughts in general about diversification in a supply chain
1: yeah absolutely and we produce a very niche product not everybody can make high quality eyeglasses and actually cut the prescriptions and cut the lenses in the way that will yield the highest quality experience for the customer. But we keep a fairly select group. We're very selective with who's actually making our glasses. And one of the things that we've done more recently is move to onshore or nearshore more of our production of eyeglasses. And so we've opened up a factory in California where we actually make our own prescription glasses. And we've made those investments. The Trump tariffs from a couple years ago have definitely hit us, especially on things like accessories and certain packaging that we offer to customers that we use to pack up our products. And so we're constantly looking at other American sources or other foreign sources to at least open up that margin a little bit better.
0: Wow. Wow. So you have transitioned part of your supply chain to become vertical where you own and operate your own facility, which I think is going to be shocking and just very interesting for a lot of our listeners because most people that we have on, they work with contract manufacturers and don't verticalize. So I'm curious, what was the internal discussion around, hey, let's invest in our own facility?
1: Yeah. And to keep it clear, we also do work with contract manufacturers as well for other products, but we just felt we could produce a higher quality product in the U.S. I think quality was one of the largest paramounts for us. And we had the engineering know-how. We have some amazing engineers that work at Pair that know exactly how all these machines are operated and maintained and used to cut certain lenses. Beyond the quality aspect, we saw that we were growing and as a growing company, we felt like it was a necessary investment. It's not something I would recommend for a company that's just limping along or certainly one that's managing decline. But uh, for us, it just made sense as we looked at the future.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool. I'm curious, how has that (laughs) overall affected your margins or turnaround times? I would imagine verticalization increases your margin and makes for faster lead times, but just curious, maybe if you can give us an overall pulse on how that affects
1: those two metrics. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely has a positive impact. We've tried to verticalize the transportation between our own lens lab and our 3PL warehouse. And so one of the things you have to keep in mind is because eyeglasses are actually technically considered a medical device, they have to go through all the FDA regulations and paperwork that's necessary. So it's very common for any of our shipments that are coming from China to be held up in customs for an FDA hold or an FDA examination. And that can take your transit times from two to three days all the way up to six, seven, eight days, just like that, and basically push out your overall average transit times. So it's been nice to have more of that predictability of knowing, hey, this is in the same general area as our 3PL. We're close enough where we can make the trip fairly easily and under our own control. And so that predictability has definitely helped with our transit times for sure. That's amazing.
0: One of the metrics that you mentioned as you talked about verticalization was quality control. And so I'm curious, are there any horror stories that you've had in the past when it comes to
1: factories and quality control? Of course, yeah. As every shipment before it ships out from a supplier usually has to go through some sort of pre-shipment inspection or some sort of QC process, and we've certainly had launches or product launches in the past, not just at Pair but also at Swell, where we were cutting it way too close, and the failing QC was just enough to tip us over the edge to not have the product ready to go. And so what that does is that puts pressure on all the other downstream areas of the supply chain, and all of a sudden it becomes a problem for inbound logistics, outbound fulfillment, even customer service. They're the ones who have to pick up the pieces if the timeline is pushed out by a failing QC.
0: Makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious when that has happened in the past, a product fails QC, what do you do? How do you negotiate with the factory to either get compensation, to get new products made faster? Mm -hmm. What has been your approach that's proven successful with that?
1: Yeah. The approach I'd say is twofold. The first is relying on the actual relationship that's usually fairly longstanding, unless it's a brand new supplier. But usually a lot of these relationships, they go back years and there's somebody on the team who can manage and massage that relationship and the ins and outs of it to speak more candidly to the supplier that, hey, we need your help on this. This is unacceptable. The other pillar of how to approach those kinds of incidents is leaning on your contracts There's a reason why you have them. And usually it's fairly clearly defined what counts as passing, what counts as failing, and there's usually very little gray area for what is an acceptable quality standard. And so in the past, we've been able to rely on uh, just what our contracts say to remediate the situation, to get a corrective action report published and work with the supplier to do some process improvements at the factory.
0: That's awesome. We talked about factories failing, and I'm curious, there are a lot of times where factories go above and beyond for their clients. And I'm curious if there's any times that come to mind where a factory has really stepped up for any of the businesses you've been a part of.
1: Yeah, I wish I had a more specific example for you. But what I do know is both at Swell and at Pear, we've definitely had instances where we're launching a brand new product line, never before seen. And those timelines are way more time sensitive than any other PO that's cut to the supplier. And so we've definitely had instances where the supplier was able to prioritize a particular PO or even better, a replenishment PO if the first product launch was a huge success and just prioritize it over other accounts, knowing the impact that it would have for us. It doesn't happen all the time, but factories are constantly working with priorities between multiple accounts and if they're able to prioritize you over another account even shaving off a couple of days can make a big difference
0: totally and i think it's so interesting how the relationship reflects on that prioritization right because factories like you said have had long-standing relationships with their clients and if you're a newer client with them how do you get priority right and i think Sometimes it would make sense that the biggest client's going to get priority, but that's not often the case in terms of if a client has a better relationship or if the factory has a new opportunity they're excited by, that's where they're going to spend most of their time. And another thing that we see a lot, especially at Sourcefy, with some of our e-commerce customers this year, in terms of the change of the e-commerce environment, in terms of cash flow, are there any kind of strategic decisions that you've made this year in terms of managing your supply chain that has enable your cash flow to be in a better position?
1: In terms of improving cash flow?
0: Yeah. Whether it be negotiating payment terms or trying to get better pricing or whatever it may be.
1: Yeah. In with the specific objective of assisting with cash flow issues, I'd say price negotiations has been the big one for us. Obviously we work with a lot of vendors and with the 3PL that we work with As we're growing in a growing account, we always have a right to go back to the drawing board and renegotiate certain prices, especially if we're able to demonstrate that certain things should be a per piece rate and not an hourly rate. There are a lot of gains that can be made there, and you could really dissect a lot of different areas of our pricing, whether it's like carrier costs or fulfillment costs or storage costs or inbound receiving costs and dissect what areas are probably the most ripe for a negotiation.
0: Makes sense. That's awesome. And I feel like you have to look at a kind of full picture approach to understand what areas of your supply chain can you negotiate more and get better pricing on. I'm curious because there are so many aspects of the supply chain that you touch on. What is your main focus or North Star if there is one?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I'd say the main focus... For me and the supply chain that I'm overseeing is what we call a click-to-ship or a click-to-deliver metric, which kind of embodies all of the different segments that I'm touching or directly overseeing. So that would include everything from the moment that the order is placed to once the prescription is filled to when it's sent to the lab, packed up, shipped to the 3PL, fulfilled at the 3PL, in some cases put away into storage, We're actively working on tracking all of those milestones that go, that roll up into that click to ship number. And that's probably been our biggest North Star. It's also something that's very digestible for executive leadership to understand. They understand what, you know, the overall turnaround time is for our customers and how certain tweaks that are made at different segments of the supply chain can ultimately impact the overall transit time and overall turnaround time for customers, which, they've been looking at since day one
0: that makes a lot of sense i like that term click to ship i haven't heard that one before so that's awesome that's cool rich as we wrap up here one question that i like to end with is what is a hard lesson lesson that you're grateful you've learned so this could be either from your professional career or earlier in life or just a lesson in general that you would like to share with the audience
1: i guess i would like to mention more like as a piece of advice that in your supply chain career it's really important to focus on some of the areas that other folks aren't necessarily looking at. And sometimes those areas can be boring, monotonous, not very sexy, but they do have such a huge impact on the overall uh, supply chain or their overall operation and the overall company. And I'm specifically talking about things like import-export tariffs or returns or inventory control. These are not the kinds of topics that people are usually clamoring to be a part of, but what I can say for listeners is that when you decide to find that as your niche and cling on to that, it can really pay dividends because when no one else is looking at it and it is boring, there will come a day when it all of a sudden becomes the number one focus of somebody important or a number one focus of the company. And for that entire time, they're going to want to know Who's in charge of this, what can be done to improve it, and uh, you start to realize just how connected it is to other areas of the business and how much it can influence the success of other areas. Uh, So I would just say, cling on to those different segments and try to find those niches that are harder to keep you enticed, but I promise they do yield dividends in the end.
0: That's awesome. That's a great piece of advice, Rich. As we wrap up here, I want to thank you again, Rich, for joining e-commerce on tap. And if any listeners want to get in touch, where can they find you?
1: Sure. You can just find me at LinkedIn, Rich Durham at Pair Eyewear. And yeah, we'll look forward to reaching out.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Rich, again, for coming on e-commerce on tap and thank you everyone for tuning in, like, subscribe, share, give us a review. We really appreciate it. Thank you again.